welcome to the Blair Her Name podcast, where we talk about Xena, the warrior princess. We're your hosts, bringing you queer content from coast to coast. My name is Ray. Uh, my prom- wow, pronouns. Pronouns? Pronouns. I'm off to a really good start today. <laughs> Are she and they, and I am a queer writer living in the Pacific Northwest. I've got three cats and a dog that are all hanging out in my recording room with me, so there might be some background noise, but they're really cute, so it's totally fine. And then my co-host is the amazing Elliot. Hi, folks. I'm Elliot Junkyard. I am also a queer writer, and I am a fiber artist. I live in the mountains in Pennsylvania, and currently since it's memorial day weekend there are a bunch of people shooting fireworks off the lake so hopefully you can't hear that but if you do sorry <laughs> fireworks are legal here oh that's unfortunate <laughs> they just did a massive like um referendum thing in my town to try to get all of the fireworks banned so we haven't gotten the results of that yet so i guess we'll see what happens sounds good yeah so, today we are talking about episode three of Xena the Warrior Princess, and Elliot, I believe you have all the info on that. Okay, so season one, episode three, is titled Dream Worker. It aired originally on September 18th, 1995, and in Dream Worker, Gabrielle is kidnapped to become the bride of Morpheus, the god of dreams. So Xena has to go through her dreamscape passage to save her friend. This is by far... Gr- like grammatically the worst imdb description i've ever heard it sounded very clunky yeah it's not I'm like it's not even the god of dreams it literally just says the god of dream i'm like no that's not how you language but okay the god of that one dream <laughs> that one yeah, time that one dream <laughs> yeah we're gonna change the format of how we've been doing this just a wee bit because we're only three episodes in and what's fun of not experimenting we're gonna be doing things a little bit less play-by-play and just kind of chat about things because there's lots of things to talk about in this that if we're doing a play-by-play we don't really get to dive into as much so is there a scene that you would like to dive into and chat about first was there anything that immediately jumped out to you or that you wanted i feel like we didn't start making notes until a good like five minutes into the episode honestly so um but that opening scene was amazing (laughs) that's true that is very true because we open on gabrielle where you don't see you know who she's talking to so it could be a villain or you know an adversary but she talks for like a solid 30 seconds to a minute like doing some like good guy banter and it's she's fighting a tree stump it's amazing. It's fantastic. And she really does sound very in like she's she's trying to be as serious as possible, but the issue is that nothing is happening. And it's very obvious. She has this sword in front of her and she's just doing her best to talk some like really hard shit. But nothing is happening. It's a good 30 seconds of her just standing with the sword directly in front of her until you see the tree stump. And She's just practicing for the day when she gets to be a fancy warrior, too. Oh, my God. Okay, so I was rereading the, like, the dialogue for this scene. And a line that I missed when we watched it is after Xena comes and takes her sword back and says, don't do that. This is not a plaything. Gabrielle's response is, I said I'd get some wood. I didn't say how I was going to get it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, oh that's so good 
Gabrielle is literally the best wordsmith I've ever heard in my entire life. She's amazing. The yeah, writers so for good. Gabrielle's lines are need like a commendation for her, seriously. Yeah, she's practicing her tough guy banter. She's practicing like holding the sword and her like her stance. It's just everything about that opening scene is and then like Zena just comes in and is like, What are you doing? She's just concerned <laughs> momming all over the place. And she's it's, it's beautiful, really. It is beautiful. And then she launches into um rules of survival i believe she called it and basically all yeah. of them amount to run 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 and run <laughs> because she doesn't want gabrielle to do any fighting because she's an innocent it's uh, which is yeah some some nice foreshadowing for the the plot of this episode oh yeah some real good foreshadowing but they also give xena a really good line here where after she goes through the you know run eight times like it should be your absolute last resort is picking up a sword as she says the moment you kill everything changes yeah i feel like that's another really big theme throughout the entirety of the episode is just how much you change when you decide to take somebody else's life and how much it really affects you and she does a really good job of like pushing that i feel like the beginning of the episode actually set up the foreshadowing for everything else and all of the like themes for this ep really 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 well now that i'm thinking about it and not just on gabrielle's part but also on xena's part as well yeah and and i like that xena is talking like she's making it clear you know to gabrielle and to us that she takes she doesn't take killing lightly and for someone who was a warrior and who has killed probably countless numbers of people, it's clear that every death, like, weighs on her. Like, even when she was bad Xena, pretending that, like, she didn't care, she clearly, you know, was, like, suppressing it or just with high on her warrior rage that she was pretending it didn't bother her. But it clearly does, because now that she's reformed Xena, you can see, like, every death weighing on her shoulders. Yeah, and I think they do a really good job of showing the duality of her two, like, her two parts to the part of her that was slash is still a warrior and is willing to do the things that she needs to do in order to achieve whatever her goal is, whether that's protecting this group of people or what have you. Um, but still also understanding ultimately that what she does is not technically a good thing and she doesn't want that to happen to other people and doesn't want other people to have to do it. So she keeps doing it so she can be the person to take on as much of that burden as she can. Yeah, like like in the last episode with Eyeliner Hottie, yeah. he, like, his story arc is that he wants to be a pacifist. So even though he fights his father, Zena's the one to deliver the killing blow because for her, you know, she's already killed a million people. Like, it's like, well, I've already done this. I'll just add to my pile of grief because you're trying to, you know, diminish your... Yeah, and even though it's very much in these episodes shown that she does have more than enough regret for what she's done. She still is willing to keep being that person who, I guess in this case, saying like giving the the killing blow, she'll she's still willing to do that because the last thing that she wants to do is to make other people have to endure that same regret and burden that she already has. Mm-hmm. So much to unpack just in the first five minutes. Wow. 
Also, uh, un- unrelated, but quasi-related. In the next scene, when they, they get attacked by, I don't know, some random dumbasses. Random looters, basically, yeah. Uh, we get the scene from the credits where Gabrielle is, hol- is holding her sword. Oh, yes. Very and important. It's a good scene. It is a good scene. I, I always like being able to point out the credit scenes, especially in like these 90s shows that have yeah. their entire yeah. opening theme made up of nothing but scenes. Let's see. What else happened in this? scene oh there was a really good line from xena where the people who are attempting to loot her say that her sword looks really nice and they'll think they're thinking about taking her horse and they're like well maybe you sh- maybe a surrender would be a good place to start and oh my god i just remembered that scene and it was so yep, fucking good i know and so the the main dude is saying this to xena and obviously implying that she should really just surrender and her response is you're right i accept <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so beautiful and he's like so taken aback for like half a second but otherwise yeah that's that's the golden part of that scene elliot as our resident action scene connoisseur did you find that to be a satisfactory action sequence i i did find it very very satisfactory especially because there there's a part where ostensibly the leader of this pack recognizes Dina's sword uh once oh, he's yes. you know fighting and he's close up to it he recognizes it as like Zeno the warrior princess's sword and thinks for half a second like oh man my reputation is gonna soar because I've killed Zena and Zena just looks at him like bitch please oh my god yeah I forgot about that <sighs> it's so good men and their fragile fragile egos bless <laughs> okay let's see what else happened after this oh okay this is where the first bit of the plot happens actually because um as they're being attacked by these looters and as uh xena is kicking all of the ass somewhere in the background there are dudes in robes that have been watching them the entire time and see gabrielle and automatically are like oh she's perfect she's so full of innocence because she isn't the one doing any of the fighting it's all Xena. Oh, yeah, because they're like creepy Greek druids hiding in the bushes. I believe the proper term is mystic, Elliot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Excuse that's you. right. Excuse you. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just don't want you to be offending any of our creepy bad dude mystics that may be listening, okay? It's important. It is really important. So, yeah, they that happens. Then they end up in a village that they were already on the way to, and multiple people make commentary about Xena and her friend and they do a very yeah. specific yeah they're very specifically pointing out your friend it's like you can almost hear the capitalization and air quotes around friend 100% like they're very obviously more interested in Xena's friend than they are in Xena herself which is actually very impressive because i feel like almost everywhere you're like Gabrielle is going to be backburner like importance to other people Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, this is a non-savory reason about them wanting her. But besides that, shit happens here. People make commentary about what, about Gabrielle being her friend. Xena is a good person and ends up helping a mystic dude who... Is he blind? Or was he, like... I, I think, yeah. Yeah, he's blind because of reasons of plot. This show is really good about using disabilities to move the plot forward. Yeah, it's great. Super, super great. Yeah, so basically, the guy comes into the shop. The jackass store owner is like, we don't serve your kind here. And he was like, but I just need... 
a saddle. I don't remember what he says. He needed a, and, a halter for his horse. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so Xena is like, no, I don't need the thing I said I needed. Now I need a halter for my for my horse. Oh, and right. She, okay. This uh, is another point that I wanted to wanted to hit because of the way that the, the phrasing was here. The merchant who did not want to sell the halter to the mystic specifically uses the phrasing i won't serve him he's one of them oh yeah that's right because after because after he kicks him out he says sure that looks that looks cruel but he's one of them yeah and he kept on emphasizing the one of them and well i understand what they're doing here because they're obviously trying to make him seem like oh yeah he was part of the bad mystics blah blah blah. he's a bad dude we don't want to help him but it actually in in the sense of the gay subtext that we're all looking for in this show it's very 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 othering and so immediately falls into obvious gay subtext and Zena's immediate want to help him also made me be like okay so this is a woman who's seeing other people be discriminate be discriminatory against somebody else and she immediately feels kinship to them Mm-hmm. And I actually, um, I was getting like kind of like anti-Semitic vibes. Ooh, yeah, okay. So like, you know, you don't have to be the same marginalization to recognize discrimination and want to help another yeah, marginalized course. people. Of course, literally, like the second that you see any sort of uh, being a marginalized person your first instinct is always going to want to be, or well, I would hope that it would be to want to help the other marginalized person no matter their marginalization and especially considering that they are writing this character as blind but blind for the plot whatever um it could also be very much this person it could look from the outside as though this person is being othered because of their disability too yeah 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 but either way lots of fun subtext in that sequence and i really thought the phrasing was very interesting and i keep on having these moments as i'm walking through the show that I'm remembering what you said in the first episode, I think it was, that the writers didn't mean for this show to be as queer as it was. And I just keep looking at it and being like, how? <laughs> <laughs> how did you not mean to? Because it's all very obvious to me. You know? I don't know. I feel yeah. like it's really hard not see some sort of queerness throughout everything. Like, that entire conversation. Like, yes, you can totally see it in other marginalizations, too. But, like, that's a, I feel like that's a conversation that's so very inherently related to just marginalizations in general. And so, obviously, queer falls into that. And so it just, it just baffles me. It baffles me. And this entire episode is chock full of queer innuendo. And Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it really is. And it's one of those things where when you go back and you hear that they were saying that this was never meant to be a queer show... I just want to know how many legitimate gay people were in the writer's room for this because Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) That's all I got to say. Okay. I mean, I hope it's not all I have to say. We have to talk for a little bit longer. (laughs) But yeah, so we go from Xena's scene in a shop full of gay subtext (laughs) to Gabrielle's scene in a shop full of gay subtext because Gabrielle wants to buy herself her own sword, but, like, you know, a Gabrielle-sized sword. Oh, God. <laughs> this entire sequence. And the the shop owner hands her a sword, and she says, she comes, like, she said, it's like, oh, it's the most beautiful sword I've ever seen. Uh, and then she looks at him and she goes, oh, believe me, I've handled plenty. Which, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. As if... 
a sword wasn't already a giant phallic symbol. You yep. go on to assure this guy, no, no, I'm totally straight. I've touched so many penises. So many. I'm the straightest. So many. So straight. So many. <laughs> and then, just to really drive the point home, oh, that was a pun. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make it, but I did. <laughs> uh, just to drive the point home, after the dude and her keep trying to find the right sword, she ends up with a breast dagger, as though she were not gay enough, as it were. Which, which at first she thinks means is designed to pierce the breast of her enemy, and then the guy is like, no, no. <laughs> no, it just hangs on them. But it's like, no, you wear it in your boobs. Which actually is a pr- like pretty good idea, and I want like kind of wonder if it helps the cleavage at all. I'm just saying, sorry, that was just a thought I I had. Although, actually, I do believe our answer is given in the next sequence when Zena sees her with the breast dagger and her response is, you seem bigger. (laughs) Because she's, like, sticking her chest out to, like, I guess keep it in place because as soon as she, like, sags her shoulders a little bit, it, like, falls down her shirt and out the bottom of her skirt how did it not stab her in the toe i don't know i don't know either way i basically screamed as soon as Zena made the you seem bigger comment <laughs> you did your your commentary is like holy shit eight times in a row and then a bunch of key mash oh, okay no 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 but it got, it got better that's why the key mash got better yeah because if, if i did have a whole like there was a lot of holy shit because my jaw dropped when like when I was watching it, I literally had a moment of holy shit, and my jaw was just open. What happens is Zena picks up the breast dagger from Gabrielle's feet and puts it in her boobs. Oh, thank you, thank you. Okay. Yeah, and then and then Gabrielle says, "As if your breasts aren't dangerous." Enough. Thank you, because all I have in my notes are your breasts aren't dangerous enough. Ten keyboard smashes. <laughs> Yeah, like, I just have like a lot of feelings. Three lines of key smash. <laughs> so you were clearly having a lot of emotions. <laughs> I still am. Like, I'm sorry. This is the gayest thing I've ever watched. Okay. I just, it's so, it's so gay. And then, and then when does, why did I say more theme? The theme happens? Um, did the theme happen here? Yeah, I think that was actually the second time the theme happened. Um, I think that it might have been during the scene where Gabrielle gets kidnapped. Oh, okay. That um, seems like that happened very strangely. Then I can't. I that scene is literally evading me. I cannot think. I can't think about it. What's hap- What happened? It's a blank and blank okay. spot in my mind. I mean, honestly, I guess it really doesn't matter because ultimately the theme song happens. Shit happens. Gabrielle is kidnapped, and my notes here are: you have angered the lesbian. You've angered <laughs> the warrior lesbian. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Gabrielle, Gabrielle must get kidnapped in like the blink of an eye because they literally go from talking about how Zena's breasts are dangerous to Zena yelling at this shopkeeper for not telling her that like this is the weekend when they like send young girls away so they won't get kidnapped by mystics or something. Also, did they not think it was not strange at all that they haven't seen a single female in the place since they've been here? I mean, I guess not. I guess they were just like, man, the patriarchy must be strong in this town. (laughs) 
Probably. So the candle aesthetic is something we need to discuss in this episode. Oh man, the candle game is so strong in this episode. It is like it is like every like Pinterest aesthetic witchy yeah. mystic photo you've ever seen. There are candles for days. Candles everywhere. So many. Okay. The good guys have candles. The bad guys have candles. It's great. There's just a lot of candles, and I'm just really glad that nobody was set on fire, ultimately. <laughs> uh, also, a little True. bit confused that that wasn't actually a plot point, considering how many candles there were. I feel like they really missed, like, a good opportunity there. Whatever. Moving on. So the next time that we see Gabrielle, she's already in a bridal gown because these dudes have picked her to be Morpheus's bride. And we never see Morpheus, for the record. We just see these druids that are working for him. And she has to prove herself somehow. What we discover she has to do is shed her blood innocence, which is a concept that I adore. And this will bring us full circle back to the first conversation that Zena and Gabrielle were having about how Gabrielle has never killed anybody. The concept of blood innocence is literally making sure, like, basically... The fact that you haven't killed somebody. The second that you kill yeah. somebody, you've lost your quote unquote blood innocence. Yeah, it's like a it's like a murder virginity. Yeah, basically. That's perfect. And so the idea is that Morpheus and I don't really know a why or understand the why of this, but Morpheus wants an innocent girl to be his bride, but in order to be his bride, she must lose her blood innocence. And I don't know why he wouldn't just go looking for somebody who had already killed somebody personally. This plot is very, very weak to me. Because first of all, Morpheus is the god of dreams. Right. So why is he being such a dick? Why the fuck does he care if she killed anyone? Right. Not right. I don't get it. It would would make more sense if if, she was going to be, say, like, the bride of Ares, who is the god of war. Right. And I'm sure would have a super boner for some girl who never killed and he got to take her murder virginity. Like, yeah. that is like rife with symbolism. Exactly. And that makes so much more sense. But Morpheus, he just wants to hang out in people's dreams while they sleep. I don't get it. But, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's some weak writing. There was this line that I did appreciate as Gabrielle is arguing her fate. Once again, she has these beautiful anachronistic moments that just really make the episodes for me. And as she's being explained to that she's going to be a bride, she says, I'm not the wifey type. And I just, it's beautiful. Yes. Yeah, it's, and then, then her next line is, is like, it's something about how she can't have kids because, quote, look at these hip bones. Yes. It's amazing. Amazing. She's just, I love her so much. And she belongs on Twitter, honestly. Gabrielle belongs on Twitter. That's where she should be. That is her, should be her home. So more stuff happens. Xena goes and chats with the mystic who she helped with the halter. He explains what the cult is and refers to them as the perverted cult, which I actually really liked. At least they called it out super blatantly what, you know, what they're doing. And he says that he had a vision about this woman who would come and tear down the cult. And Xena's like, it's me. I'm the one. And it, like, broke me a little bit because she's doing all of this to save Gabrielle and, like, the seriousness in her face when she's, like, I'm the one, like, literally killed me. I had a moment where I was, like, close to tears, which, admittedly, I get teary very easily, so probably not the most impressive feat. 
hard save there. <laughs> yeah, but it still happened. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so shit happens and they agree that she has to go into the dream world her in her own dreams in order to save Gabrielle and at least let her know what's happening so she can try to save herself. Yeah, so she like she talks to this guy for like 30 seconds and then he's just like, here's this potion that'll send you into the dreams, but we only have a certain amount of time because if you stay in the dreams too long, you're gonna die. And she's like, okay, give me that shit. Like, yep. she's like, I'm all in. Automatic <laughs> trust. Go my soulmate. Give me that potion. Literally, that's what it is. It's that she knows that Gabriella is her soulmate and she can't live without her and that's it. So she'll take any potion, doesn't matter where it's from. <laughs> Uh, more candle aesthetics happen, which are great. And then we have some really awesome cultural appropriation. Yup. They put Xena in this, like, kimono-type thing. And, like, the bad guys are in a vaguely, like, Mongolian-looking armor. It's very... Yeah. Not good. Um, they do this thing with Xena on a multiple times. Like, they, this is going to keep coming back. So we're just going to have to... Yeah. Call it out every episode it happens, because it's, it's not going anywhere. Yep, that's just, that's the best we can do. So, okay, I am super excited to dive into this part, because as we are going into the dream realm for Xena, we are told that uh, Morpheus will try to stop her and will use everything he knows about her to stop her. And essentially, as soon as she becomes, like, one with the dream world, blah, 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 Morpheus knows everything about her. So he essentially is going to use all of her fears and anger, etc., in order to try to stop her from getting to Gabrielle. So we have a feast of things to discuss with Xena, especially recently. Although I say recently being this is only episode three, but we've, we've you know, it feels like we've been doing this a lot longer already. Right. <laughs> right. He basically starts off by pulling out the all of your victims were faceless and you never cared about any of your victims thing, which as we've already discussed in this episode, she did care. She does care. She's been shown to care. But yeah, the entire thing basically starts off with her being faced with her very first murder, I guess, very first kill, who was a dude who was trying to burn down her village, I believe it was. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. She said something about like, if she hadn't killed him, like, the whole town would have died or something like that. Yeah. And so we get the first inkling that Xena's warrior history and past didn't start off being as vile and just kill for the sake of killing as it some people may believe. And it sounds like she was doing all of this, or at least it started off with her trying to do something noble. Oh, I just realized I never said my last name when I answered. <laughs> Noble's my last name, guys. My name's Ray Noble. Hey. <laughs> Sorry. I just had a moment of, oh, shit. Didn't have that written down, so I didn't say it. Oh, no. Uh, I was going to point out that I just do like, a really interesting parallel between you saying that Xena didn't start out intending to be evil, and then she kind of spiraled out of control in a warlord, and the uh, mystics, because what we later find out is that they were, you know, a good order or whatever. And then the reason the blind guy calls them a perverted cult is because they were like a regular order of helpful 
mystics, and then some bad guys got in and were like, we're going to fuck shit up and start sacrificing people. So Damn. you can draw a parallel between the two of those. You are oh, yeah. so good at this, Elliot. <laughs> you are so good at it. Good job. Uh, let's see. We have many mo- moments with Xena where she states that she's not her anymore in re- like reference to her being her old warlordy self. Mm-hmm. And just a quick aside, while all of this is happening, and I understand that it's really just for the good of the listener and the watcher, but uh, while all of this is happening in her dream world, the mystic is outside of in the real world trying to control everything, and he realizes that, like, her life force is draining quicker than it should be, and blah, blah, blah. And he's talking out loud, but he's completely alone, except for Xena, who's in a trance. So he's just talking to Xena, who isn't even there. Like, I just, I had moments. I was very confused. Very concerned. Yeah. And she can't hear him. It's not like she can hear him from the dream world or anything like that. Like, she's just yeah. not there. So he's just talking to every to the world at large. <laughs> Yes, we we just decided that he is very concerned and he is the type of mystic who just talks to himself while he works. Exactly. Yeah, so those those are some some notes. And then we finally jump back to Gabrielle, who is being prepped for her very first task. So she's being put up against some warrior dudes that she is supposed to kill. And so she goes out of her way to not kill them, actually. And I don't think that that's actually on purpose. I think that she literally just, like, managed not to because she's, like, good. Yeah. Like, she just Um, doesn't kill people. It's not who she is. Yeah, because there are three challenges, and I think she gets through the first one, like, on accident. Yeah. And then during the second, like, between the first and second one, Xena finds her. And is like, you haven't killed anybody, right? And she's like, no. And Gina's like, okay, great. Keep that up. Right, exactly. So, yeah, they end up finding each other in the dream world after Gabrielle does some shit. I think she just knocks out the warriors. I think that's it. And they tell her to take a break and go to sleep. And so she goes to sleep. And then she ends up in dream world where because her and Zena are on the same plane, Zena is able to find her somehow. And they chit-chat for a few moments, and they, once again, come full circle back to the beginning of the episode, where at the, we didn't mention this actually, but I guess it was relevant, at the very beginning where Xena is having her moment of, um, these are the rules of survival, and you should always run, 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 before you draw your sword, you should use what your, you know, what talents you have, and that's talking, she says that she yeah. should talk to them. Because Gabrielle can only, she's really good at talking, and that's about it. Yeah, and oh my god, Gabri- the way Gabrielle gets through this second challenge is just so amazing. It is really actually <laughs> impressive. Like, and she even says to herself, she's, to herself, she's like, well, what am I good at? Oh, I know, <laughs> being witty. Yep. <laughs> like, at least she knows her strengths, okay? Yeah, it's great. So she she comes up against three three warriors and she just like looks at them and she's like, okay, I'm not gonna fight all three of you at once. It's gonna have to be a one at a time thing. I'm gonna get tired. Other words. <laughs> oh wait a minute, we missed one thing. We missed a mo- thing that has very slight modicum of importance, but was very gay. 
because oh, is it uh you say the thing okay <laughs> sorry i really want to say the thing <laughs> um as she is waking up from her dream state She's saying Zena's name over yeah. and over and over while she's dreaming and as she's waking up. And it's literally the most precious gay thing I've ever seen. It killed me. Yeah, it, it is literally the last thing she says while she's in the dream world with Zena and the first thing she says as she's waking up is she's still saying Zena's name. It's too much for me. It was literally too fucking much. Okay. Yeah, so back to Elliot's lovely explanation of the action sequence, because let's talk about how bad I am at action sequences. Let's not. Yeah, so, so she, you know, she convinces them to come at her one-on-one, but how are you going to choose? So she plays them against each other, and it's like, I will take the strongest one first, and then, you know, uh, and then we'll do the second, and then the last one will just be easy pickings, because, you know, you're the weakest. And so first they fight out, trying to determine who the strongest one is, so that takes care of, like, one. And then two, and then the other two are, like, making, like, oh, you go first, no, you go first, and whoever decides to go first, the third one stabs him in the back. Yep. And so she's left, she's left with the, the last one, and she, there's a, the scene that I really like is there's a spear that, obviously, she is meant to kill someone with, but she doesn't use it as a spear, she uses it as a staff, which, like, later becomes her weapon, is the staff, because she can defend herself, but she doesn't kill with it. And I love that so much! So much foreshadowing! This episode was so good for foreshadowing all over the place. Foreshadowed in the beginning about the episode, foreshadowed in the middle about later parts of the series, foreshadowing everywhere. It shit foreshadowing. I love it. It was fantastic. And, oh, okay, yeah. So the next sequence of events is very confusing to me because they finish up with her, um, what is this, the challenge? Oh, yeah, they finish up with her challenge and they take her back to her cell. And the first thing the dude says is somehow you've learned what the goal is, which is essentially, like he said, to get rid of her blood in a sense. And... What really confuses me about this is that he just assumes that somebody has told her when really, like, yeah, technically somebody did tell her. I know it was Ina that told her. But the first thought process should be maybe she just doesn't want to kill anybody. Like, I mean, she's an innocent for a fucking reason, right? Like, exactly. why wouldn't you assume that the innocent still doesn't want to kill Exactly. Why is his first assumption automatically somebody told you? It doesn't make any sense to me. And also, why would that really be a secret? I don't really understand. I'm a little confused. My other comment on this is the same exact thing that I was basically just saying, but like what happened to Occam's razor? The easiest option is the option. The simplest option is the option. And that ultimately is a pretty big writing technique. So I'm a little bit confused about how they just like moved around Occam's razor and were like, oh no, somehow she's learned. I don't know. I don't know. I also don't know what that voice was. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Someone needs to stop me while I'm ahead. So that happens. They basically decide that they're going to give her a harder test next time, one that she can't fail or something like that. Then they jump over back to a scene with Xena. And is this the scene with Negazina? 
It is the scene with Negazino because oh. it's incredibly gay. I think there were like some some more bad guys or whatever that were like trying to send her down to a guilt spiral and she just like vanishes them with the power of her mind and oh, her right. love for Gabrielle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this. Yeah, but then Negazina shows up and Negazina is like, I'm you, bitch. You can't get rid of me. Yep. And um, why is Negazina as hot as she is and why does she have an accent is really my question here. Yeah, she has an accent and she also has all black eyes, like like the demons on Supernatural. But very badly CGI'd after the fact eyes, not contacts. Uh, I mean, it was 1995, so, you know. You okay, fine. Okay, fine. Okay, I'll let you have that. <laughs> Either way, Negazina and Zena end up having a um, battle of the wits, essentially, as the fight scene that happens is very lackluster but the 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 witty part is good at least yeah it's it's also a pretty gay fight scene because negazina is like kind of looking good Zena up and down like you know we don't have to fight we could just bang it out <laughs> for real and this I, the thing is i really don't know how to feel about this because is it just really like narc- narcissistic that they want to bang themselves or should i be concerned i don't know yeah i don't know either yeah i don't Um, know i don't don't know but there was a lot of tension between lucy lawless and lucy lawless (laughs) there there is a thousand percent agree so if we Um, had a sexual tension award it would go (laughs) to negazina and xena yeah that's it yep xena has good xena has a great line in this scene which is you're just a dark reminder of a disease I once had. Oh, God, the one-lines, fucking one-liners in this show are just incredible, incredible. They, It's like they save up all of their writing finesse for those one-liners, and yeah. <laughs> it makes it all worth it for me. It makes everything all worth it for me, for these great one-liners, and this is the first time that one of those one-liners has actually come from a main character and come from Xena herself, so good on you guys. You guys being the writers Um, who are not listening to the show. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Xena has a great moment where she realizes that she can't kill Negazina because Negazina will, you know, will always be a part of her. She'll always be carrying the burden of when she was a bad guy around with her. Yeah. And that makes her realize that Negazina is the key to getting out of the dreamscape, so... Which doesn't make any sense um, to me, but it's fine. It it doesn't make any sense at all, but she, like, basically... Does she just, like, take Negazina, like, lift her up and, like, throw her at the door? I think so. I don't remember, but I think it was ridiculous like that. (laughs) I think so, and honestly, after the fight scene that we've had, where Negazina slaps Xena in the face, and there is a roundhouse kick, and that's ultimately about the, the... extent of the fight scene yeah like Zina gets slapped and she's like on the floor and I was just like seriously you're gonna take that Zina like I know it's from you so that slap probably packs a decent punch but like come on exactly like it's also it's from you to you so you would assume that you would be slightly prepared I don't know but somehow Negazina gets thrown into the door which I guess and is then, the exit. Yeah, there's an amazing, and by amazing we mean terrible, CGI explosion. Looked like somebody had just taken the still frame and put it in paint 
and drawn and it, like what they thought an explosion was supposed to look like in purple. That's really what it looked like. I swear. And then and then Zena jumps through this, you know, opening in the door in a way that it looks like she's jumping over a fence. So I have a feeling that she probably was jumping yeah. over a fence. There's probably like a hurdle or something there. <laughs> um, oh, and yeah, as she does that, I forgot about this part. Her body, which is with the mystic down like in the village, disappears and reappears in the same like mountain cave that Gabrielle and the rest of the perverted mystics are in. Because that's oh, yeah. how that works. You know, magic. Yeah. Okay. I guess presumably she has, quote, found the key so she can join the dreamscape in the same way that Gabrielle... I don't really understand any of it. it... I have no clue. I really have no yeah. idea. It's, it's a reach. It's a, this entire scene is a real reach. And it, talking it back is making me, like, regret the fact that this may be my favorite episode so far. But also, I still love it. It's still my favorite. So I, you know, can't complain. Essentially, from there, Xena doesn't even, like, kill everybody or anything. She basically grabs Gabrielle and they, like, book it the fuck out of there. And that's basically it. That's how they handle that situation. Yeah. Oh, um, Gabrielle's final test was, like, some kind of thing where, like, they gave her a sword and, like, put her in a column where, like, she was being forced. Yeah, there was, like, spikes behind her, so she was being force closer and closer to some like soldier at the end so it was either like get impaled on stakes or stab this guy but Zena shows up in the nick of time and like you know, kicks butt so you know gotta save your girlfriend a lot of these soldiers are willingly giving up their lives for this cult and for morpheus i'm very concerned yeah like all of the soldiers knew what they were getting into at this point so why are they doing yeah, it it's kind of like what what are you getting out of this exactly because yeah. Morpheus doesn't control the afterlife. You're not getting any perks. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. I'm confused, but it's whatever. So yeah, they end up leaving, and um, where were we? Zena saved Gabrielle because their gay love always triumphs. Um, oh, yes. Oh, I know what happened. Love always triumphs, and the mystic who helped Zena ends up being reinstated as the head mystic and he's going to try to change everybody's ways and make the mystics good again and he magically has his sight back. Yeah, because apparently, like, his blindness was, I guess, a punishment for trying to be a good mystic or, like, not going along with the bad mystics when they decide to turn the cult or turn the group into a crazy cult. And they were like, we punish you with blindness. And it's like, oh, okay. Oh, okay, thanks. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. And, yeah, so his blindness is gone and he is now a good person. And I will say... That this is probably one of my favorite scenes that have happened so far in the entirety of the show. Because this is the first time that we see a person who Xena has helped without question. Although admittedly she did help them primarily for her own gain because she's going in for Gabrielle and not because she needed to help these people. But whatever. He is so appreciative of her. And blatantly states, like, if you ever need anything, if you ever come back here, please, like, come here. We'll we'll help you. We'll take care of you. You're always welcome here. And it is just the loveliest thing because it's the first time that we really see anybody appreciating what she's truly done. And even in the first episode where she sees 
her, you know, her family and saves them from Draco's people, even they don't give her that well of a send-off. They don't say, oh, you can always come back. Like, her mom just, like, is appreciative of her, calls her little one, knows that she's no longer the bad Xena that she was. But Mm -hmm. there's no true sense of reconciliation with the entirety of of the town. Whereas in this one, you get a sense that everybody appreciates what she's done. Everybody knows that she has stopped these people because just because of the way that the mystic responds to her. And it's really nice and I really liked it and it made me happy. I really liked the last scene. I think you thought it was a little cheesy, but I really liked I it. I thought it was um, cheesy as fuck, but I love it. It was good. It was good. Zemini um, and Gabriella are sitting next to a lake. And Gabrielle is talking about how, like, no, she didn't kill anyone, but she could have killed someone, and it was scary to know that, like, she was that close to being on the edge. And Zena's response is to tell her to, like, look at the calm surface of the water, and she says, that was how I used to be. And then she picks up a rock and throws it into the water, and she's like, you know, all, like, you know, all those ripples, that's what happened to me. Like, my, you know, my life changed, and I became this different person. And Gabrielle says, but if we sit here long enough, it'll go back to being still again. And Zena's response is, yes, but the rock is still under there. It's a part of it now. And I was just like, that is, that metaphor was just so much. And I was like, oh. Okay, I would have really appreciated it so much more if the lake itself was not a murky like brown dark lake that we then have an entire like 15 to 30 seconds of staring at at the end of it like it just wasn't like i get it i get it it was probably all that they had but it was just such an ugly lake (laughs) and i just felt like it just wasn't as poignant as it could have been because of that like we keep getting these random cuts to this lake and it's just this boring ugly lake and I was just like, okay, I get it. You're trying to make a poignant scene and this is all you got. I don't know. It didn't, it did not fall for me. I did understand why they had it. And I do understand the sentiment and I do like the sentiment. I love that, like, at the end, they're like, well, the rock is always under there and, like, you know, it's forever changed because of it. I got it. I liked it. I just, you know, I'm, I'm a fucking picky bitch, okay? But ultimately. Um... I did really like that ending, and I thought that I really, 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 really loved the character development in this sequence, in this entire episode. I thought they did a really good job. Yeah, and um, I think I also said something about how we learned that Gabriela is never going to be the, like, you know, the capital W warrior that Zena is, but it doesn't mean that she can't get better at fighting in her own way, which she does, and like I mentioned before, like, she picks up the spear and uses it as a staff, so, like, and that becomes her weapon of choice, like... Exactly. You know, we, like, we use it in our logo, right? We do. Zena's weapon is the chakram, and Gabrielle's is the staff, because throughout the show, like, that's who you come to associate with them. I think that, I also mentioned this in my notes, I think that they do a fantastic job of continuing to show the differences between Gabrielle and Zena's characters, because especially when we start off seeing Gabrielle, she wants to be just like Zena. She wants to be a warrior and she wants to fight for the good and all of that. But you slowly begin to see Gabrielle picking up her own ways and deciding that while she can still love and idolize Zena, that she can be 
this person, this warrior in her own way. And that she doesn't have to go down the same path as Ina because fundamentally they are two completely different people who could never go down the same path. Yes, I agree. Yeah, and I just really love that. I think that they did a fantastic job of that. And this is just one another one of those sequences where they do a really good job of hitting that home, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I loved it. I really loved this episode, even though the plot was weak. And in general, it was not the best writing-wise. I thought that this was exactly what we needed for character development. So Yeah. You know, when we when we watched this, and you were like, this is my favorite episode so far, I was like, really? This episode was weak as fuck. And you were like, yeah, but the character feels. I can't wait for the discussion. And now that we've had the discussion, I'm like, this was a really good episode. I told you. It was so good. I'm. I will always be more into the episodes with less fighting and more character shit i will always because that's just what that's what i love the most i love character study style episodes and i feel like this is exactly what that was it was really taking a second to say okay we've had a few episodes let us really dive into our characters a little bit more and they really did that they showed us some of Xena's greatest fears. They showed us her working through them. They showed Gabrielle realizing that she can't be just like Xena, even though from day one, that was her intent. That was her goal and her discovering not only can she not be that person, but she is okay with it and doesn't want to be that person anymore. And you see her coming to terms with the fact that, yeah, I want to be my own person. I want to be somebody who works well with Xena, but I don't want to be her anymore. And I just thought that was so good. And they did such a good job of it in such a short amount of time. And uh, I just, I loved it. It was such a fucking good episode, Elliot. It was. So at the end of each episode, we are going to try to be doing queer recs and shout outs. So Elliot, if you would like to start, I believe you had a fantastic one. Yeah, um, so I just finished Eight Devourers, which is the second Welcome to Nightmare novel. And I'm recommending this not just because it's a great book, but also because I was struck several times throughout the reading of this book at how good Nightmare is at incorporating queer characters into their narrative and it not being a big deal at all. This novel is about, like, the main character is a character we've never seen in Nightmare before. Like, Carlos is her boss, so Carlos is around, but he's not even, like, like, he's barely a supporting character. And yet he still manages to convey in two or three scenes, like, exactly how much he loves his husband and how important his family is to him in, like, a few brief sentences. And it just, like, there were a couple scenes that just, like, broke me. And I was just like, oh, my God, their love is the best love. It's so pure. And there's, like, another side character um, who we have seen before and, like, who in the show they've mentioned him having a boyfriend. But, like, he just, like, is casually, like, oh, yeah, my boyfriend's over there, like, helping Janice with her wheelchair. And it's, like, okay, beautiful, like, incidental queer and disability rap. I love in it. In one sentence. Like, perfect. Love it. So good. It's so perfect. So yeah, uh, if you don't listen to Night Vale, you should read it anyway, because it's great. If you do listen to Night Vale, it's amazing, and especially if you want to know more about the house that doesn't exist. Oh, now I, I, I haven't picked it up yet, and now I need to, because that's like my favorite topic. 
It was like my favorite thing that happened in all of Night Vale. You officially convinced me. <laughs> I feel like these these wrecks are just like one of us does one and the other one is like, oh my god, I need to read that, listen to that. Basically, Look yeah. That. It's basically just us recommending shit to each other, let's be honest. Fair. Yeah. And I guess on that note, I'll pick mine up. So I just got this yesterday, actually, and I'm super excited for it. Um, yesterday, I stopped at a local bookstore and found a hardcover copy of this, which is actually what I was waiting for. It's why I hadn't bought it yet, was because I wanted to see what the hardcover looked like, and I hadn't seen it anywhere. But it is a anthology called All Out. And it is an anthology of stories written by queer authors for queer teens throughout the ages. It is edited by Sandra Mitchell, and it has writers such as Anna Marie McLemore, Sean David Hutchison, Melinda Lowe, as well as a few newer authors. And it, I just started it. I only have read one story, and it was um, the very first one, which is by Anna Marie McLemore. And it is so good already. It ranges through a ton of different genres. I believe there's historical fiction, there's historical fantasy, and a ton of other stuff in there. And I'm just super fucking pumped for it. So far, it's been great. It's been really, really, really hyped. And um, I've seen it kind of all over the place, but also not uh, like a ton of other people aside from bookish people are talking about it. So if you get the chance, if you love short stories and anthologies, I highly recommend picking this up. Everybody in it and involved in it is queer and it's all about queer stories and it's coming from more than just queer people. It's coming from people who have disability rep as well, people who are racially diverse as well. It's fantastic. So highly recommend it. All Out by Sandra Mitchell. Awesome. 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 Stop me now. (laughs) Never let me talk again. Okay. So on that terrible, terrible note, uh, we should probably wrap up because I hate myself. (laughs) <laughs> no, no it is. That was so bad. So yeah, we we I think we've been, been neglecting this, this, but if you like our show, oh, tell a friend. Um, leave it a review. If you like this version of us just talking about gay shit and doing a last little play by play, let us know on the Twitter machine. We are at Blair Her Name Pod on Twitter. And I am at Elliot Junkyard, that's Elliot with two L's and two T's. Oh, and Ray. I'm Ray Likes Cats, and that's Ray with an E, not an A. And yeah. yeah is there anything else uh, If you have any other things that you can't fit into 280 characters, you can always email us. Our email is blairhername at gmail.com. Otherwise, rate and review us at iTunes or subscribe on anything that you listen to us on. I think that we're on things such as Overcast, Pocket Cast, uh, and a few others as Anchor slowly gets shit up and going. Otherwise, I think that's basically it. I think that's our housekeeping. Yep. Sounds good. Perfect. Well, we will be back in two weeks to talk about episode four. Elliot's going to go have fun at BookCon slash BEA because he's a baller. And... I've really got to pee, so we should wrap it up. (laughs) All right, well, um, I will see you guys um, on the other side of of BookCon, so let's just hope I don't die, because I'm I'm not going for for funsies, I'm going to work. Oh, no, honey. (laughs) Well, I hope you have the best time anyway, and I can't wait to hear about it when you get back. But yeah, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. 
and we will see you guys in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Bye.